0: Amen. Well, we are so glad for everyone that is here this morning, both in person and online. This is is part of what it means to be the church. It's just the opportunity for us to gather together and worship His holy name. And for that, we are thankful. But if you weren't with us last week, we actually started a new sermon series called Being Church. And the purpose of this is for us to discover what it means to become the body and to grow in our membership. What it looks like to actually be the church. And last week specifically spoke about being the body of Christ. How we emphasize the diversity of our gifts. That, that every gift that God graces the church with in each individual is a gift for church flourishing in fact I had you all do a survey if you were able to or if you were able to get it in your email and print it out for those that weren't able I'm I'm very sorry I probably should have had copies ready for people as they went out the door um, but this is just a sample of of what our church membership looks like of what gifts exist within our church now as you can see there's A diversity among the many. There's 16 different things up here that are God's grace as as stated in the Bible. And yet, we can see that we have, you know, about half of them represented. Now, to be fair, I only asked everyone to put their their highest rated. So where we might be lacking is some of people's second might be in discernment or exhortation or apostleship. But we really see that, that we have gifts in this church. That there is a multitude of gifts in this church and that in those gifts everyone has a role that they can play. That there is no role that is too insignificant. I'm actually really glad to see how high administration is because if I'm really honest with you, I am terrible at it. Absolutely atrocious. Don't ask me to do admin. It is really bad. I mean, honestly, just look at the bulletin this morning. If you can see, there was supposed to be a written confession and assurance, and it didn't make it in there because I'm bad at admin and didn't check. So admin is so important for the church, and I am honored and blessed that we have members in our church that this is their gift, right? But also, what this kind of reveals to us also is where we can improve where we might need to be praying that God sends to our church these kinds of people. Like evangelism. Man, to see that, that nobody's number one gift is evangelism. Lord, will you send, send evangelists to first prayers? Will you send people that have a hunger and urgency to go out and share the gospel of Jesus Christ from our church? There is no insignificant gift on this board. There is no sense in which we can exclude anybody because everybody has a role to play. We need your gifts here. Whatever it may be. And so once you've figured out what your gift is, then start praying, Lord, how can I get involved in the church? Lord, how can I be used by you at first prayers to fulfill the grace that you have given me in that gifting? Right? So there is a diversity of gifts within our church. A diversity of gifts. But here's the thing about diversity. And we talked about this a little bit last week. In such a diverse group, there's bound to be some tension. There's bound to be some, oh, well, I want to do it this way. Well, I want to do it that way. There's bound to be a little bit of disharmony, right? When you have so much diversity in the church, when you have people that come from not just different giftings, but different walks of life, different socioeconomic backgrounds, different races, we're bound to see there be some tension But Ephesians 4, 1 through 3 says this, and this is going to be where we land today. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we know that church unity is something to go after. It's, it is a command from you to be unified in our churches, in our body here. But Lord, we also know it's a very difficult thing. And so God, as we unpack this scripture today, Lord, I pray that you would make very little of me and make very much of yourself. Because it is only in you and in the power of the Holy Spirit that unity is possible and can be achieved in this place so lord we love you and we thank you and it's your holy and precious name that we pray amen so here's the thing when i think about unity i'm actually going to go for the really low hanging fruit on this little story anecdote whatever you want to call it i love sports And in particular, I really, really was enthralled with baseball this season. So if if you're not aware, uh, the Braves, the Atlanta Braves, won the World Series. It was phenomenal. It was fantastic. But to be honest, it wasn't until the ninth inning and we had two outs on the board that I actually finally believed we might win it. Because if you know Atlanta sports, you also know there's a history of throwing the game at the last second. Like we just... It happens. It really, really does. But here's the thing. I'm going for this low-hanging fruit because truly, team sports truly depict what it looks like to be unified, what it means to be together. It's almost impossible for any team to succeed on the big stage if the team doesn't have unity. If there's any sense of disharmony among players, it falls apart. And the Braves are, are actually one of those great stories of how unity and coming together actually allowed them to succeed on the biggest stage in baseball. You see, here's the thing. At the start of the season, there were only two guys on the Braves team that would have been considered in the top 25. That would have been Freddie Freeman and Acuna, right? But halfway through the season, Acuna gets injured and is off the table. He's gone, and this is July, and the Braves still haven't broke 500. They're stay, they They've still lost more games than they've won. And it looks like any hopes for the Braves to actually get to just the playoffs is an impossibility. It just doesn't look like it's going to happen. But in July, they start making revamps to the lineup. They start uh, making some trades, some acquisitions. And and one of those acquisitions is Jock Peterson. And that's important to the story because I want to share something he said a little bit later. But here's the thing. At that moment, in August, on August 5th, for the first time, the Braves turned their season around. For the first time, the Braves were over 500. That's significant. Because it's the latest in a season that any team has ever broken 500 and then gone on to win the World Series. It's the latest that any team has ever been able to break that 500 mark and go on to win the World Series. And and here's why. And this is what Jock Peterson says in a letter that he wrote and submitted to actually go out the day of the first World Series game. He said, it's been an incredible run. Game in, game out, meaning even outside the game. It's been so many different guys stepping up in so many different moments. It's been us getting MVP-type seasons from Albies and Riley. It's been Soler legitimately carrying us for stretches. It's been Freddie taking Hayter deep to, to send us to the NLCS. It's been Adrianza coming through with that pinch hit double. Then Eddie hitting the bomb that changed everything. It's been Matzik in an an elimination game, giving us two of the most ridiculous shutdown innings you'll ever see. It's been Will slamming the door on some of the best lineups in baseball. It's been Dansby flashing the glove to get that final out. It's been the entire pitching staff, frankly. It's been championship-level baseball up and down the roster. Championship-level baseball, Everybody doing their part. There wasn't anybody left off of that list, of that lineup. It was. It had to be a unified baseball team in order to ch- achieve their goal, the goal set before them, which was to win the World Series. There is not one person on that team that was not a team player. There's not one person on that team that wouldn't have said, I'll do anything, even if it means sitting on the bench in order to accomplish our goal as a team. It took humility, it took patience, it took gentleness, and it took love of everybody on that team to pursue the very thing that they wanted. And as I think about that, as I think about what it took for the Braves to win, I can't also think about what it takes for the church to win what it takes for the church to be successful, to be the body of Christ through and through. Everything that kind of happens on a team, in team sports, is the same thing that's required in the church. It's so easy to see how quickly a team can unravel when there's disharmony among it. And it's so quickly, easily, easy to see how quick a church can unravel when there's disunity within it. I've been a part of those churches. I've seen churches where there was one person that wanted one thing and another person that wanted a different thing, and then they started competing in the church against opposite things, and the church just started coming apart. It's like having two people pulling on threads of the same garment, and that garment is just coming undone just coming apart at the seams. A church that is not unified will fall apart. And I'm sure, I'm sure that this church is not exempt from that because we're human. There's a diversity among us. It's only natural that there would be moments of disunity and disharmony. It's only natural that there would be moments that some of us are like, well, I want this thing and I want this thing, right? There are these moments where we're just kind of like, I want something completely different. But it doesn't have to be like that. The church isn't actually called to be filled with people that want their own way. It can be so quick to jump into a disagreement and then start facing these, these places where nobody wants to relent... Nobody wants to trust what the other person has to say. Where we want to force our ideas through and we make hasty decisions. We've all felt it in the church. We've all been on one side or the other. Where we've been the person either doing the pushing or we've been the person receiving the pushing from someone else. But it's in the diversity of our gifts that we actually see how we can all work together and actually be a unified church. Because we are going to have moments of tension. That's going to be true no matter what. But above everything, above our diversity, we are actually called to unity, to be the unified body of Christ, And let me say this, unity does not mean uniformity. It doesn't mean we all do the same things, think the same way. Because if we did that, then we would actually also be just as useless. Because it's actually in our diversity, not in our uniformity, that we actually have good ideas. We're able to circulate the different ways that the church can make an impact for the kingdom of God in and around us. And so unity is not uniformity. But let's take a look at the church of Ephesus, because that's where our, our scripture is today, in the, in the letter to the Ephesians from Paul. And here's the thing, Paul is always writing his letters because there's something bad happening in the church, right? I mean, just last week, we were reading the letter from 1 Corinthians, right? And we were seeing how, like, these people were suing one another. I mean, they were being litigious, which, I mean, we're in a litigious society now, And they were being litigious back then, suing one another, having sexual immorality rampant, sleeping with each other's wives. It was just messed up. It was totally messed up. And so Paul had to write this letter to them and be like, y'all need to get your act together. Get it together. Because this, this is not what it looks like to be the body of Christ. This is what it looks like to be the body of Christ. This is what it looks like to be a functioning member of the church, right? And that's where we were last week. But here, in Paul's letter to to Ephesus, to the Ephesians, he's like, there's nothing wrong. It's actually weird. He's writing a letter to a group of people where they've got their stuff together. Like, everything is fine in Ephesus. In fact, he says in uh, chapter 1, verse 15 and 16, he's like, for this reason— because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks to you, remembering you in my prayers. Man, how many churches do you think Paul could say that to today? I am so thankful because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. And I give thanks to God for that. what it wouldn't mean if this could be one of those churches. If we could receive that exhortation, that we would be remembered as a church that loved all the saints. So our passage today is actually an encouragement to Ephesus to keep doing what they've already been doing. What they've already experienced, what they've already endured, an encouragement to keep enduring in that unity that they've already have among them. And so as we take a look at this passage, we need to actually come at it from that perspective that this is an opportunity to be either be swayed to correction or encouraged to endure. ...to be a church that is so overwhelmed by the love of Christ... ...that we actually endure in unity with one another... ...regardless of whatever we have ahead of us. Because the road ahead of us is going to be hard... ...it's going to be long, it's going to be bumpy... ...it's going to have twists and turns... ...and people are going to get mad and angry... ...because of change that might happen within the body... ...and yet, we have an opportunity before us... ...before all that comes... To start working toward a foundational unity in Christ Jesus right now. And so let this actually be our encouragement. That this is our time to say, hey, we've already got a lot of the good workings right now. Let's push for better unity together so that when the hard road comes, we won't be swayed. And so Paul opens this little section to the Ephesians and he says that he comes to them with an appeal as a prisoner of the Lord. I actually find that one really interesting because when I think of you out as you please but I the Lord. Neither. We have to ask ourselves is our focus heavenward just like Paul's focus even in his imprisonment. Matthew 6:33 says, "But seek first the kingdom of God And his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Is our focus for one another and for the church to be kingdom first minded? Or is our focus something different? Is it about the songs we sing? Is it about the version of the Bible that we read? Is it about the person standing in the pulpit? Are we asking the question and seeking God first? Or are we seeking all of the programs that we could be doing first? And so when we think about unity, it's actually a pursuit of the kingdom, not a pursuit of unity in and of itself. And then it actually says that he urges them. And so urge actually comes from the same root as Urgent, right? Urgent meaning something that, that, that we need to put right in front of us. Like something that is, that is of immediate attention. Something that we have to address right away. And Paul isn't urging them because they're doing something wrong. He's urging them to remember constantly what's in front of them. Who is in front of them. Jesus being the one that secures the unity of the church. And so the church of Ephesus... Is also in danger of forgetting the unity that is in Christ Jesus. Even though they're doing everything right, they're still in danger of putting what is first to the side. In fact, in Revelation chapter 3, we see chapter 2, we see just that. One of the letters written to the seven churches says, That to Ephesus, you have forgotten your first love. You didn't keep this warning in front of you. You didn't keep the urgent thing urgent. You let it slip to the side. And so what does that mean for us? Paul actually gives us four ways in which we, together, can actually maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That's what he says at the very end of that passage, right? That we would maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And as he does this, he actually urges us to walk, not to run. He urges us to walk in these things. You know, here's the thing. We oftentimes see the goal and we want to run after it as hard as we can, as fast as we can, because we want to get there. We all kind of have this vision of how we see first prayers growing and how we see it moving forward. And I know a lot of us just want to hit the ground and we want to run after it as fast as we can. Here's the problem with running. I actually had someone kind of confront me on Monday of this week and kind of shared something with me that struck me really hard. They said, you know, here's the kind of the problem, the issue with running forward, with going as fast as you can ahead, is that you're always going to leave somebody else behind. You're always going to leave somebody else behind. And we're actually talking about in the context of our community groups, and how in our community groups there's something really beautiful about them because it's an opportunity for everyone no matter where they are at in their spiritual walk, to sit together, to sit at the same table, and actually learn and grow together. That's beautiful. But if we all t- hit the ground running, going as fast as we can, somebody's going to get left behind. Somebody's going to have their heart broken. Somebody's going to see how everything that they held on to was lost. But we didn't make a way for them to actually be plugged into what's to come. I actually think of it this way. Have any of y'all ever done like a three-legged race where you've got like you and a partner and then you tie your legs together and you're trying to race down to the other side, right? And, and there's several people and you're all lined up, but you have to go in sync together, right? You have to be yoked to one another, going at the same pace. Well, imagine that, but there's 40 or 50 or 100 of us. And we're all linked together and it's not just a three-legged race. It's like an 80-legged race. Can you imagine if just a couple people in that 80 leg race said well i'm going to run as hard as i can and i'm going to expect everybody else that's tied to me to run as hard as they can but then they don't because all they can do is walk and then we've just left them behind actually we didn't get anywhere because you ran so hard that it caused everybody next to you to fall over and then it was just a domino effect and everybody's fallen over and now we never got past the, the start line. We have to walk. We can't be too hasty in these things. And so here are the four things that, that Paul speaks to The church cannot walk forward if its members do not practice humility. That is, that we acknowledge everyone else before ourselves. I acknowledge all of you before I acknowledge me. And let me tell you, there's a lot of me that wants to come out in this church. But I've got to refrain from that in so many ways. Because that's not loving to you. That's not being humble enough to say that maybe everything that I want, doing it at the pace that I want to do it, is actually going to bring everyone else along with me. It might break the unity that we have and share as a church. I actually love the way that C.S. Lewis says it. He says, It is not humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. So, essentially what he says is, There is none of you that should sit here and think that I am insignificant. That's not what humility is. Humility is not saying I'm an insignificant human to the life of the church. It's just saying that in the life of the church... There are lots of people that contribute to the body and to its unity. And so I can't put myself above anyone, but it doesn't mean that I'm also not important to the church's flourishing. Humility admits wrongs, it forgives quickly, and it lifts others up. Humility truly acts to serve before leading. Humility says, I'm willing to stand at the back of the pack and help push them forward instead of being at the very front and running ahead. This goes back to that run-walk analogy. If you're trying to run ahead, then you are not being humble because you're putting yourself first above everybody else that's leading behind you. Mark 9.35 actually says it this way. This is Jesus speaking. He says, And Jesus sat down and called the twelve. And he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. If we want to see unity in the church, we have to be a people that are willing to say, I'm not going to be at the head. I'm willing to be at the very back Pushing everybody else along in whatever capacity it is required. I'm willing to serve first instead of say, I'm the leader. God's kingdom is an upside down one. Humility is the supreme quality. What do I mean by this? Let's just look at Jesus himself. Philippians 2, 5 through 11 says this. Have this mind among yourselves. So church, have this mind among us. So that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Even God himself humiliated himself to put on flesh to become human for the purpose to serve and not be served. To love us when we were not lovable. Right before that Paul actually writes them he says... Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not only look to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Are we humble? Do we practice humility in our lives? The church cannot walk forward if its members do not practice humility. The second thing he says is that they must be gentle, that there must be humility and gentleness. The church cannot walk forward if its members do not practice gentleness. Gentleness is honestly not a gift for me, um, and I hate to admit that. I can be rough around the edges. I can be less than merciful. I can be pretty judgmental. I only found this out kind of recently, when I was speaking to a friend and he looked at me and he said, you know, you're not the most merciful person. And I'm like, what? And he's like, I don't feel safe when I come to you with something going on in my life. That, those were some of the hardest words that I ever heard. That somebody I loved and cared about didn't feel safe enough to come to me. Matthew twenty nine or 11, 29, Jesus says this. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. To be gentle means that we don't put burdens on others that they can't carry. To be gentle means to come alongside someone and help carry for them when they can't carry themselves. It means being able to reach toward them and say, hey, it's going to be okay. Instead of being the one that first sees what's wrong with them and calling it out in them. That's not gentle. And that's not unifying. If the church is going to walk forward, its members have to practice gentleness. The church cannot walk forward if its members do not practice patience. This may be one of the most difficult prescriptions for unity in the church. Patience is often not a virtue we espouse. And it doesn't really fit with the idea of urgency either. And yet there is this idea that we can still walk in patience while being urgent towards the things of God. Because urgency is about putting the first things first. Putting God in front of us. That's what's urgent. And then we walk in that going forward. Think about the patience that God had with the Israelites for their 40 years in the wilderness. No matter how many times they turned away, God came back to them. We have to be willing to be patient with one another for the work of the church. The church can only walk forward if its members practice patience. Lastly, the church cannot walk forward if its members do not love one another. If you don't love the person sitting in the pew next to you or in the pew behind you or in front of you or in the pew 30 feet away because you don't want to sit next to that person, then unity is going to be impossible among us because love is the one thing that actually unifies the other three. It's what makes humility and patience and gentleness possible, is when we love one another. This is how I know this. 1 Corinthians 13 says, If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith as to remove mountains but not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, if I deliver up my body to be, be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. And then he continues that love is patient and kind. It does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude, and it does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth endures all things, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things. That is what it means to love together. I don't think I can say it any better than Paul said it in 1 Corinthians 13. When we love one another, it becomes so much easier to put somebody else ahead of us. It becomes so much easier to be gentle with them. It becomes so much easier to be patient with them. I'm gonna end with this. Jesus reminds us in Matthew 12, 25 that the Pharisees are coming against Jesus because of all the healing that he's doing and all the demons that he's casting out. They start to question how he's actually doing it. They actually start asking among themselves, well, he's doing it out of a demonic power. And the scripture actually says this. It says that Jesus, knowing their thoughts, says... Every kingdom divided against itself is laid to waste and no city or house divided against itself will stand. If the church, if the house of God, if the body of Christ has any division among it, we will surely fall apart. But let us take Paul's encouragement today that as we reach deep within ourselves, push forward in humility, gentleness, patience, and love, not only will we be a better and stronger church for it, but we will be a better and more fruitful representation of Jesus Christ and Griffin and to reveal his kingdom to those around us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this time. And I know that I, I went long, and, but this is important, Lord. Unity is important to the body of Christ. If we have any hope of moving forward as the church, we must be unified. And so, God, unify us together this day.